You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Let's turn uh, in our text today. I'd like you to turn again to the book of Mark. <clears throat> we are, we have made it to the last section of chapter 10. Yes. <clears throat> right before Palm Sunday next week and we get into chapter 11. But we're in this last part of chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. I'll read them in a bit. We'll just show our picture from last week. Justin, you still in here? There he is. Hey, you recognize that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Justin gave me this last week. The... The man on the on the left is Jesus, and the little person inside the heart is Justin, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So he's saying he said, "I'm in Jesus' heart," and so we praise the Lord that through our trust in Christ as our Savior, we are in Christ. That union with Christ that we have. We're not just speaking today of some Savior out there, personal Savior, Savior among us over his church as well. So thank you, Justin, for doing that. Let's look to God's Word in verse uh, chapter 10, verse 46 through 52 of Mark. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. <coughs> And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Let's pray again. Lord, we again come to you with what's already been prayed this morning, that Your name would be praised, that You'd be glorified, that You'd be made much of, Lord, that the cross of Christ would be our hope, this rock, this solid rock that we bank our eternity on, the trustworthiness of Christ and Your Word that we have laid out right before us. And so, Lord, in Your Word right now, we're going to ask that Your Spirit give us the understanding to hear from You. And even I, as I go through this again, Lord, that you would guide and direct what I have to say, my thoughts as well. Lord, lead us not to just hear more words and leave the same. Lord, may you challenge us. Again, we're going to pray, Lord, where we need conviction, where we need to change, where we need to do something differently. Would you, by your spirit, work that in us? Would you speak to us through your word? It's mighty word. Lord, where we need to be comforted by your presence, may you do that as well. We ask this in the name of Jesus before you, Lord. Amen. 
Well, I've read these verses, and as this crowd of people head out from Jericho, I want to ask you a question just as we're thinking about the text. We just read it. It wasn't a long text here. You're going to maybe know the answer to this question. But which character in what I just read, which character, uh, we're not talking about Jesus, so besides Jesus, which character had the best eyesight of the group? Which one had the the 2020 vision? The the one that we struggled to read, maybe small words today, or you're in the eye doctor and you can see the big letter E, but the others get... But out of this crowd, who could see the bottom line, the, the clearest things? Was it the crowd? Yeah, did you? Yeah, Bartimaeus. That's, it's, the, it's him. It's not the crowd or the disciples that are around. They're, they're being given eyes to see. Jesus talks to the disciples. But I, think, I think in this account, at least, we see kind of this focus in on, on vision. And here we conclude, I think, really, this blind man had some of the best vision around. We'll try to lay that out here. Here in Mark, we're at the end, and I know we've, we've gone slowly through this, and we'll continue just to plot along. Hopefully, by God's grace, we're learning through this book. But this last section forms a bit of a bookend from where we've been. And the, the other side of the bookend, so we're at Mark 10, 46 here and, and ending. We kind of go back and, and do that in your Bible. Turn back to chapter 8, verse 22. There's another story about some blind men. <clears throat> you remember us looking at that uh, a while back. Go there to Mark eight twenty-two, and I'll just read 22 through 26, this other account of these blind men. Then we're going to talk about what's in between. And so here's another account. They came to Bethsaida. Some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. These two accounts of blindness, I think, just kind of bookend this bigger section here and and just by way of quick review what we saw in the middle so what were the books in the middle here's some of them uh we saw three predictions of the suffering death and resurrection of jesus we saw later uh right after this mark 8 uh, 26 right after that peter confessing you know who do, jesus says who do people say i am peter says you are the the christ we see him saying that and that reply We see what it means to be a disciple, what it looks like. It looks like losing one's life for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. Uh, We saw Jesus up on the Mount of Transfiguration, his clothes becoming radiant, intensely white. We saw a father cry out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We saw this idea of being a servant of all. And also dealing seriously with sin. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to cut it off than to enter into hell. And we saw as well that entering the kingdom is to be like little children, dependent and needy. And ultimately, then last week, I shouldn't say ultimately, but along the way then as we come towards the end of, of this section, we see verse 45 of chapter 10. That verse, maybe some of you have memorized it. You could say it with me. But for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve 
and to give His life a ransom for many. Ultimate servanthood is displayed in Jesus who would give His life. So as we near Jerusalem, and that's where all this is heading, followers of Christ, they are ones who have been given eyes to see Jesus for who He is. They leave everything to follow their Master and Lord who gave His life as a ransom for His own. And so this section 46-52 through then concludes kind of this this more larger section with this beautiful picture. Really a, a portrait of what it looks like to have eyes that see Jesus and run to Him and follow Him. Verse 46 tells us that in this section now, as we begin to look into it, we're in the area of Jericho, that ancient city where Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down that Jericho. Now there are... Uh, those commentators that point out there's more than one Jericho. They're, they're in the same area, but there's more than one here. Um, but this Jericho, it's a marker and a sign as we're with Jesus, as we're traveling along. He's on his way to Jerusalem. If you guys would show, did I, I did put the map in here. Here's a rather enlarged view of the map that you can see. The, the uh, was it reddish maroon line that goes up and leaves the map. That's where we all came from, from Galilee with Jesus. We came down that side of the Jordan. That was the, really, if you didn't want to go into Samaria, which most Jews did not, you came down this route, you crossed over the Jordan, and uh, you came near Jericho. But that's on the road to Jerusalem. And so you came through that. If you can see some of the uh, contours there of land, you actually see the hills start just to the uh, west of Jericho. So when you hear talk in the Psalms of going up to Jerusalem, they were literally going up. We think of up as going up north to Duluth. No, this was going like elevation-wise, going up. So out of Jericho, you head up to Jerusalem. It gives you an idea. It's kind of like us going to Rochester. If you drove from here, you would go through Stewartville. It was just where you go to get to the next place. And so people were heading through Jerusalem. And here it's this time of Passover. Many people are most likely traveling through this. I picture Jericho as kind of a modern-day Palm Springs. Uh, Just a great place of lushness, like an oasis. There were some springs nearby that fed some of the palm trees. Even um, the name Jericho has a meaning with it of of, uh, aroma or fragrance, like a good-smelling place. We're all antsy for spring to come. That smell of greenness and lushness again. You can recall back last summer. It's been a while, but remember that? Just that that smell. And that gives you a sense of this place of Jericho where we find Jesus. And actually Jesus going in. And then Mark doesn't leave us here long in Jericho. We're in. We're back out. And he had come back out with his disciples. And Mark adds here a large crowd, a great crowd. And it's in the midst of departing this city with a large group. So I want you to get the picture. We're leaving this nice, lush city. We're heading out. There's a big group of people, large group following, and that's where we find our man, Bartimaeus. One commentary calls him Bart. So if I say Bart, that's shorthand. That's who we're talking about. The end of verse 46 describes him as a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus. tells us where he's sitting on the roadside. He's not mentioned again in the New Testament, so we know very little about him uh, other than that he's the son of Timaeus. Maybe he was uh, well-known in the church of the time. I, 
My guess would be he was. We don't, we don't know that for sure. But we find him here. As to his condition, he's a blind beggar. Thinking about that, I want to think of his condition of blindness in relation to, you don't need to go there, but Leviticus 21, you could mark down, talks about the blemish of blindness. Now, it's talking in the context of priests that would go before the Lord. It talks about this blemish, not just a blindness, but this blemish. It says, uh, to the sons of Aaron, the priests, that one either blind or lame or had, who had an injured foot or a dwarf, etc., was considered to have a blemish. So no man of Aaron, the priest, was to come near uh, the Lord's food offering since he has a blemish. and He shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. Now, in Leviticus, it does offer for those with a blemish, there is mercy that they can eat of the bread of his God. It says uh, he may eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy things. But Leviticus twenty one twenty three says he shall not go through the veil or approach the altar because he has a blemish that he may not profane my sanctuaries. For I am the Lord who sanctifies them. That's maybe helps us get an idea of blindness of maybe how the Jews would look at blindness. Though they had mercy on them, could not approach the very throne. Well, in a minute, this blind one is going to come into the presence of Jesus. And so here's Bartimaeus sitting by the roadside, most likely doing what he had done for a long time, begging, maybe for food, maybe for a coin, something. And maybe today as he's sitting there with all this traffic, there's an Maybe there's an increase in funds. Maybe this is like harvest time. We've got more people coming through. This is, you know, we're, we're, we're going to make more. Maybe he and the other beggars are there together. But here he is sitting there by the roadside. He's hearing this crowd pass by. He had to have heard these conversations going on as they walked by. And so verse 47 tells us who was coming by. Verse 47, and when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth. He hears this, that he's coming. Though he cannot see physically, his sense of hearing is in tune to hear that Jesus of Nazareth had come. And so he cries out in verse 47. He hears Jesus of Nazareth. He began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Alfred Edersheim describes this title, this title of Son of David, because he calls him Jesus, and then he uses this title, Son of David. I think it's helpful. Listen to how he describes it. It was the Jewish designation of the Messiah, the basis of all Jewish thought of him. It presented to their minds, that's of the Jews, the most marked contrast to Israel's present fallen state and recalled the golden age of Israel's past. And that, as only the symbol of a far wider and more glorious reign, the fulfillment of what to David had only been promises. I'll help explain that. Back, remember, uh, even Second Samuel 7 tells us, uh, or in there, the reign of David, this, this glorious reign of David. That's not so glorious these days in the present days of Bartimaeus here. They calls him son of David. Harkening back to that chapter 7 of Second Samuel, it talks about, one, an offspring of David who would come, whom God would establish his kingdom and his throne, and it'd be a forever kingdom. 
So there's somewhat, there's this looking out for this son of David to come. And so here, this blind beggar gives this title to Jesus. Jesus, son of David. No leading scribe. What were they out doing? The Pharisees. They were not doing this. They were out trying to destroy him. But here, a blind beggar calls out son of David. And he says, have mercy on me. Be compassionate. Be kind. Bartimaeus had a need. Verse 48 gives us not the response of Jesus, but that of the crowd. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Why this rebuke? Why is this crowd saying, no, keep it down, would you? Be silent, be quiet. Wouldn't, wouldn't, you know, if you're in the crowd, wouldn't a blind man present an opportunity for a miracle? Wouldn't you say, hey, yeah, we'll take you to him. Let's see what he's going to do. Why did they rebuke him? Here's a thought. As I'm thinking through this, here's this man in poverty. He's blind. He's not the person that most people, uh, most that would desire cleanliness, are going to hang around with. And I think there's probably a sense of uncleanness with this blind beggar sitting by the roadside. Perhaps even this is a sinner. We do not. I mean, and think of where these people are going. They're going to Jerusalem. They're on their way up. They're heading to Jerusalem to worship. What's going to get in the way of worship? Uncleanness. So here's this. Let's just be quiet. Let's not deal with him. Let him stay on the side of the road. Perhaps that was going along. We're just not told the reasons for this rebuke to quietness but we're just i'm my guess is he's blemished it's a blind state of this man and the crowd is concerned of cleanliness it's not associate with him but what does he do he that's not okay with him (laughs) but verse 48 but he cried out all the more son of david have mercy on me i won't do it louder so i don't hurt your ears but you hear he's crying out they're like be quiet Yep, son of David, have mercy on me. It doesn't stop him. He's calling. He's crying. It doesn't stop this man. He knew of Jesus. And in fact, as we talked about, he knew more of Jesus than this crowd. He's seeing him out here. Though physically blind, he could see Jesus before him. That's why I think he had some of the best vision of the crowd here, though he was blind physically because he was looking to the one that could heal him. Eyes that see Jesus recognize their blindness and their need for mercy. May God give us those eyes so in turn, or I should say so in tune to the glorious Savior, eyes that are in tune to this glorious Savior, that though others would say, be quiet, be silent about it, we could not keep quiet. This blind beggar saw past the rebuke of the crowd to his to the Savior. So eyes that see Jesus, they cry out to him despite rebuke. I pray we have eyes that see our sin that cry out, Oh Lord, I'm wretched, wretched. Save me. That idea. So amidst the crowd, you hear this as we're looking over the scene now, you hear this blind beggar crying out, Have mercy on me, son of David. And now 49, verse 49 is going to take us to the presence of Jesus himself. Look at just the first part of 49. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. Jesus, the king, 
stops and calls this blind man. And in doing so, he involves the whole crowd saying to the crowd, go call him. Why the crowd? I think in having the crowd call this man rather than Jesus, Jesus is inviting everybody around to see what's going to happen. Every single person in this vicinity, they're going to see the action taking place. You all, go call him. There's no secrets here. There's no hiding this miracle. This one's going to come, and Jesus is going to call this blind beggar to himself. And the crowd says to the man, they come to the blind man there in the second part of the verse. They call the blind man and say to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. Or in other words, take courage. I think it's ironic that this crowd at one moment rebukes this man. Be quiet, be silent. Jesus says, we'll call him. Okay, so they go back again. You know, you don't have all that paragraph there of, sorry about that, he's calling you now, or maybe we shouldn't have said that. It's just, hey, get up. And now, now they're telling him, take courage. I, there's a sense in which he was already courageous. He's yelling above the whole crowd. But they're, they're telling him that. Take heart. Get up and go. And here you have this beautiful picture. Here's a street level, low status, blemished, unclean, without the ability to make money on his own, this street level beggar who is called into the presence of the king, King Jesus. Those who would come to Christ are to come as a child. We looked at that weeks ago. Not coming based on status, prestige, honor in society. But we come, those that come to Jesus come calling for mercy and for grace. Sinners, really, that have eyes to see Jesus that are called into His presence. Verse 50 records the response of Bartimaeus who did not take time to tidy up where he was, clean it up, make sure everything was in place. I'll be back later. He didn't say goodbye to maybe the other beggars he was with. Look at verse 50. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. I, I think This is one of the key verses, I think, in this passage, in this text. It shows, and I think it just demonstrates this heart of this man coming to Jesus. He didn't walk shyly. He didn't... Walk timidly and kind of get along. No, he leaped up. He sprang up. Another way of saying, he threw off his garment and he came to Jesus. It's like, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going. I have my eyes on the goal and I'm heading to Jesus. I'm heading to the healer. I think we can take a cue from this man, a cue of this desperation, calling out twice, hearing the Savior say, come, and then he... To sum it up, he runs to him. Commentator James Edwards says this, the kingdom of heaven, it has been said, is not for the well-meaning, but for the desperate. Bartimaeus is desperate, and his desperation is a doorway to faith. Eyes that see Jesus throw off their garments, leave it all behind, and run to his presence. You see Jesus? Is that who you're running to on a daily, if not minute-by-minute minute basis? Verse 51 and 2 take us then to this setting. 
this closer setting of Jesus and this blind beggar before him. And Jesus says to him in verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? We are familiar with this question. It came up last week. Uh, it's not the first time. We read that James and John, I think it's verse uh, 37 back there, and still same chapter, but verse 37. James and John, uh, uh, Jesus had asked them, I, I should say verse 36 is Jesus asking the question, what do you want me to do for you? Okay, so now we've got him asking Bartimaeus. Here he asked the James and John. They said, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. We want glory. That's their request. How interesting how the narrative of Mark here, as we flow into this story now, what do you want? And before him is a blind man who just basically says, I want to see again. Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Again, James Edwards says this, the the sons of thunder asked for extraordinary glory. Bartimaeus asks only for ordinary health. And he says, Rabbi, that word Rabbi, that I think it bears with it that that personalness of a teacher, a personal teacher to this one. It's a personal level. He says, Rabbi, let my let me recover my sight. In other words, I want to see. In fact, he had already been seeing, hadn't he? He's already got eyes that see the son of David. He's saying physical eyes here. And verse 52 records Jesus' response. He said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Think about that word faith. Your faith has made you well. The wording there carries the idea of that this man's faith has and continues. It's kind of a, it happened and it continues on. Your faith has made you well. Like it, your faith has made you well, your faith continues to make you well. Wouldn't that be said of any of us that are believing in Christ, that it continues to make us well as we trust in the Lord? Faith that heals the eyes of a blind. It's a faith that continues in this man. We see him following after Jesus after this event. So question, who made this blind one well? Jesus says here, your faith has made you well. So was God at work here or was it the faith of Bartimaeus who made this well? And we would be careful to say, God made him well. God performed the miracle. And really, the miracle is even deeper. This miracle of faith. Bartimaeus, yes, he did have faith. It was his own. He had eyes to see Jesus who would heal him. But who gives man his eyes and his mouth? As Acts tells us about who gives man life and breath and everything. It's God. So yes, this faith, it was of Bartimaeus. He's the one called out twice, have mercy. And he leaps up and comes. He's got faith. And anyone who come to Jesus must have faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. It's like we've got to have what's impossible to have. It's impossible to please Him without faith. For whoever would draw near to God, Hebrews 11.6 says, must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So yes, there's faith in this one. But the counsel of Scripture would also say this entire work, this entire work is of God, that no one would boast. 
So we're not to simply look at this passage, focus on how much faith Bartimaeus had. Like, let's just get more faith. I mean, there's a sense of that. We want to look with eyes more to Jesus. But there's a sense in which who was the faith in? Who was the object of the faith? That faith is is not a work here for his healing. It's his it's his reaction. It's what eyes do when they see Jesus. They call out from a rebuke of a crowd, no, no, not caring what the crowd says, that says silent. It's eyes that say, I want you, Jesus. Have mercy on me. My sin is my greatest need for us sinners. Hear his, his eyesight. Give me eyes. Eyes that see Jesus have eyes of faith. They are saved and they follow him. We don't know what became of Bartimaeus. Other than that, I and mean, think about it, he followed him on the way here. Bartimaeus is probably arriving with Jesus in Jerusalem. Maybe seeing, I don't know, maybe he never saw, seeing Jerusalem for the first time. And Bartimaeus follows him. He sees Jesus, he follows Jesus. So a question for us is who leaps up and runs to Jesus? Who does this? I would answer from this passage, lowly beggars with eyes that see him are those that leap up and run to Jesus who recognize their blindness and their need for mercy. Uh, Kent Hughes quotes from Charles Chuck Colson. He says this, For to truly confront the sin within us is a devastating experience and yet an experience that brings grace. It is this knowing of our sin, that's end quote, and then it's this knowing of our sin that leads us to cry out to Jesus, save me. We tend to think in our lives, I'm not that bad, I'm doing okay now, I'm getting along. We don't realize we need to be shouting out for a Savior. Perhaps we only have a whisper. Yeah, I'll go see him. I'll talk to him when I need to. Let me just encourage you to cry out to Jesus for mercy. And perhaps to say, Lord, show me. Show me how far off I am that I might see your glory. Not not in the sense of help me to sin more, that I can do that more so I see more your glory. Just show me greater in a sense, open my eyes, right, to my own sin, my own need. May I not be blinded to the need that I have and go on thinking in my vision, I'm fine. But to see my need and my sin and then to shout above the crowd and say, I need you. So who leaps up and runs to Jesus? It's lowly beggars who throw off their garment to stand in his presence. Think of that, even that picture of Put off the old, put on the new, this throwing off of the garment, the old with eyes open to say, I want to put on Christ. I want to be Christ-like. I want to know my Savior that much more. Those who leap and run to Jesus are those of faith who are made well and follow Him. Followers of Christ are ones who have been given eyes to see Jesus for who He is. They leave everything to follow their Master and Lord who gave his life as a ransom for many. Is that where you're at, calling out to him? Lord Jesus, have mercy. Just encourage you, make that your prayer. Jesus, I need you. Let me go to one more spot. and We'll have the worship team. We can 
come on up while we look at this. But Hebrews uh, chapter 12, I want to finish with. As we think about faith, and we think about this blind man's faith, um, Hebrews 12 is a wonderful go-to place to tell us about the faith to come to Jesus because it anchors it again, not in faith of our own as if it's a work. It's a glorious gift of Jesus. Listen to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Did you hear that in light of Bartimaeus? Let us throw off the sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, the author, the perfecter, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Pray with me. Lord, I pray you'd give us glasses and contacts and a surgery of our eyes that we would see you, Jesus, so much more greater than we have. Lord, that we would look to you. Lord, if we're caught in a sin today, husbands or wives, men or women, kids, if we're caught in some sort of sin, Lord, may we come to You as a beggar and cry out, have mercy and know that by Your grace You usher us into Your presence and forgive us that we might have eternity with You. Lord, if anybody here doesn't know You, Lord, I would pray that You would do soul surgery and open eyes by Your Spirit to see a need, their need, their most desperate need for a Savior. Lord, may we walk before You. May our faith, may we not have eyes on our faith, but eyes on the object of our faith, Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, the merciful and high King.